welcome to episode 109 of the Maroon Weekly. We're coming to you from the basement of the Logan Center on the south side of campus. As always, I'm Greg. I'm William. And today we're joined by a few new voices. Do you all want to introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Celeste. Hi, I'm Erica. Hi, I'm Sophia. We're so glad that you joined us. And okay, so how was everyone's second week? Oh my goodness, my second week was so busy. You know, I, I found myself in Mansueto, I think it was Thursday, and it was like 30 minutes until Mansueto was closing. And I was like, what? Like, what's happening? It's only second week. Um, so super busy, but also just so happy to be back, uh, being back at podcast recording. I wasn't here last week, so and this is fun. I think you know, returning back to normal a bit um, after getting back to school is always great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as a first year, I think I'm excited things are ramping up. I also have a bit of dread, but um, yeah, I've been varying between the levels of um, the reg, and so that's been enjoyable, mm. you know? Fifth floor. Fifth I haven't been to the fifth floor yet. Make it up. A lot of first years are scared of going to the fifth floor, and I will say, when you're there, there's not that many non-first years on the fifth floor, but I ventured up to the fifth floor my first year, and I absolutely love it. Everything from the fifth floor, like, cubicles to the fifth floor stacks. stacks. I am just absolutely love the fifth floor. It's amazing. Like, it's another experience. I love the third floor. It's like Goldilocks balance. No. Huh. Why? <laughs> no, just no. No, because I feel like I'm too lazy to, like, take the stairs up to the third floor, but I also feel like this shame in taking the elevator to the third floor so like I don't know there's too much guilt and like shame of getting to the third floor um the like, stairs are so fun though right to the third floor well, aren't they like yeah built? but like I'm also the type of person who like buys all of my textbooks and keeps them all in my bag and uh, I have a super heavy backpack so I don't want to go up the stairs I don't want to take the elevator because like I'm one of those people who like if you take the elevator to the second floor, I will look at you. Um, well, I think you should go down floor. to the yeah. A level, experience some chatter and collaborate, no! and then take the yeah, elevator from the okay. A level to the oh, third right. floor. Okay, okay, okay. okay. I'm, I'm anti A level. <laughs> let's okay. Let's. I think they should put up the A level and just not let people down there. <laughs> How's your week? My week was good. I think the most notable part of my second week is honestly the weather because I've lived in California basically my whole life and I was not built for Chicago wind is what I've realized. <laughs> I've learned to layer up. Yeah. I also went apple picking yesterday with um, ah, Max, Max P. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. really fun. Dante, really I went fun. last year down to Indiana. It's really fun. Yeah. Really I didn't fun. realize we were going all the way to Indiana yeah. and then all of a sudden I looked at Apple Maps and we're in another state and I'm like, oh. But and you, know you gave up the beach at UCSB. Yes, I gave up the beach and the mountains at UC Santa Barbara to be here in Southside Chicago. <laughs> but honestly, like last year, it's we have the point. <laughs> we have the point. And I've been to the point, and it's, um, I honestly think it's kind of overhyped. I, I do think that oh. UC Santa Barbara's ocean is much more prettier, obviously. But Blasphemy. Yeah, but actually the weather is not that bad compared to UC Santa Barbara weather. Mm. I think last year because... Give it time. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? Okay, maybe. Yeah. yeah, but we had a lot of, like, flash floods last year in the winter, so it was raining yeah. a lot, and it was pretty miserable. But, yeah. I've never been to the point. <gasps> yeah, oh and I'm a third year. It's embarrassing. Wow. You should go Are you a third year or fourth year? You. I'm a... Th what? <laughs> I'm a third year, Bill. I did oh. not know this. <laughs> oh, it was... Carter was walking back with last year was talking about, oh my god, I can't believe I'm graduating next year. Yeah. Okay. All right. It's crazy. It was um, 
my second week was good. I felt like whiplash because like summer was like super calm, and then all mm. of a sudden you have like so many things to do, so many yeah. things to go to, and I'm like, is it? Me? Forgot what it was like. Is it just me or professors? This quarter, like, just wanting to get into stuff a lot more rapidly than other quarters. I feel like just this quarter, professors have, yeah. like, I already have a midterm this upcoming week. You have a midterm? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's crazy. But anyway. Yeah, it was a good second week. It's good to hear. Yeah. As for me, I had a very busy second week, and I had a very busy third week, and a fourth week, but... All up until the end of the quarter. Yeah, we're surviving. <laughs> we'll make it through. Okay, and with that, let's get into the news. For our first story, we'll go to you, Will, with a story on book bans. Yes, across the nation, books are being banned. However, the University of Chicago, known for a commitment to free speech, has announced that it is expanding access to banned books for researchers and members of the public in Chicago, throughout Illinois, and the United States through the banned book collections at the UChicago Libraries. Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker and Lieutenant Governor Stratton joined UChicago President Paul Olivasados and University Library and Librarian and Dean of the University Library, uh, Trostin Reimer, uh, for the announcement on October 3rd. UChicago's expansion of access to banned books is intended to help address this trend, lowering barriers to sharing information and to support open inquiry and discourse. The university's distinctive culture is built upon its commitment to advancing free expression and free inquiry, said Paul Vasados. By providing more opportunities for people nationwide to access a wide range of books, we are putting that fundamental principle into action. This initiative comes the same week that the university opened the University of Chicago Forum for Free Inquiry and Expression. The University of Chicago Library already owns approximately 25% of a list of more than 1,500 books that have been banned from libraries across the United States and aims to rapidly build and maintain a complete collection. You can read more about this on the UChicago News website. So I cannot. Oh, I would say before we unpack that, let's go to a related story on the um, Forum for Freedom of Expression that you mentioned. So. All right, so more on the forum. Um, the University of Chicago launched its forum for free inquiry and expression through a two-day speaker series event at the David Rubenstein Forum this past week. So the in inaugural event this past Thursday featured a conversation on the future of free expression that was facilitated by University President Paul Olivisados. Other topics discussed in the Friday series of panels include social media and AI's effects on news and public discourse, increasing political polarization in the U.S., free expression in art and among artists, and more. Um, the goal of the forum, much similar to the book bans, um, or the expansion of okay. the expansion of anti-book bans, is to further the university's commitment to free speech and expression by putting the Chicago principles into practice, according to, for to the forum's inaugural faculty chair, Tom Ginsburg, who was also a professor of international and comparative law here at the university. The forum's events are open to university students and the general public. Um, in the future, the forum plans to host discussions on what they call third rail political topics, which are like more controversial and hard to topic or hard to talk about, including abortion, affirmative action, and the Israel-Palestine conflict. Um, Ginsburg also hopes to make the process of choosing future forum topics more decentralized, so that university students and faculty can also pitch their ideas in the spirit of free expression. And you can hear more about the story on the High Park Herald. Yeah, I, you know, I'm really happy that U Chicago is um, taking these steps to protect and advance free speech. I remember one of one of the things that you know really drew me to actually applying to U Chicago 
uh, was the Chicago principles and the school's commitment um, to just free expression, you know, free inquiry. Uh, before coming to Chicago, I was involved in politics uh, and was very disturbed by a trend, um, you know, across the country, both on the left and the right, um, of, you know, just dampening, you know, really important and vital viewpoints. Now, um, I'm, I'm one of those people who will always say, you know, I might not agree with what you have to say, but I'll always always defend your right to say it. Because when you have more perspectives in the room, you know, more, let me be clear, more civil perspectives, you know, never threatening harm against anyone, I think that is absolutely wrong. Uh, but when you have civil perspectives in the room, you really get to enrich a community, a society, a world. Um, you know, just imagine what life would be like if, you know, you had to keep your mouth shut on, you know, anything controversial. It's just, it's horrible. Um, so, yeah. I actually didn't learn about the Chicago Principles until last year. Really? I had no clue. Oh, um, my goodness. And actually, not even last year. It was over the summer. I don't know why I said last year. It was only recently. Because I, um, I am in the process of writing an article for Viewpoints. Um, and, yeah, as I was doing my research, that came up. Um but in any case, so on Friday, much of what you said will resonates with me. So on Friday, I spoke with James A. Robinson. He's a director of the Pearson Institute here on campus. We actually have a podcast with him going up soon, so be sure to check that out. Um, but in any case, towards the end of our conversation, the topic of free speech and tolerance came up. And as you said, well, I think like it's commendable that the university is uh, making such an effort to promote and preserve free speech on campus. That said, I think it's valid to wonder whether there should be limits to that freedom. Uh, in the case of, I don't know if I should mention him by name, but there was an incident last year where a professor was harassed um, because she wanted to host a class that people perceived as like woke or you know something like that. Um, it's just divisive. And I just find it ironic that people can purport to be, you know, free speech absolutists and then at the same time make efforts to censor that speech. I agree. Um, you know, one of my you know, biggest things that I'm very fearful of is actually people who, like, use free speech as, you know, the word or the term free speech right. as, as, as a way to kind of dampen speech. Exactly. Uh, like, take the book bans, for example. You have, you know, governors across the country um, who, you know, are saying, we believe in free speech. And then they, you know, at the same time, go banning books. Now, look, there are some books that I don't think should be in curriculums. Um, but to remove it from, like, a public library, I think is absolutely wrong. It's, like, hyperbolic, but, like, Fahrenheit 451-esque, if you've ever mm -hmm. read that book. I actually haven't read Fahrenheit 451. Mm -hmm. uh, it's on my... It's been on my... I'm being stared at right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have not read it. Uh, I, I, I need to. It's on my reading list, actually. I made my dad read it, and he yeah. doesn't read books. Oh. <laughs> so I made him read it. He, yeah. he was confused. Like, he wasn't confused. He was just like, he doesn't like big descriptions. Ah. The book has a lot of descriptions, but mm. he, he enjoyed it, and he talked about it with his friends. Like, oh, I read this book. Like, <laughs> look at me. The, but, yeah. There's a true joy to books. Uh, and, uh, you know, I probably talk, I'm talking too much about, they're, they're too much about books, but there's 
true joy to finishing yeah. finishing a book. Yeah, there's true joy to learning about it. You know, I think my roommate probably wants to kill me right now because I have like a stack of books checked out from the rag. <laughs> I also like shipped a box of books that I have because I'm also one of those people who like buys books when they see like when that mm-hmm. interests them because I'm like what if it's not available it'll always be available but um, maybe not if a governor bans the book but um, you know I I have so many books in my room like on the bookshelf on my desk like on the ground, <laughs> the ground. yeah yeah I think my mom wants to kill me even more because I just have like books stacked all over the place, all over the house just everywhere <laughs> Okay, so switching gears, we'll go to Celeste with the story on migrants. Um, So Mayor Brandon Johnson's plan to temporarily house asylum seekers in tent camps drew wide criticism last week. Last Friday morning, in a hearing of the City Council Committee on Immigrant and Refugee Rights, members of the public and alderpersons blasted the tent camp plan. That afternoon, about 50 people protested the plan in Daly Plaza. Throughout the meeting, public commentators and presenters advocating for more city support for migrant programs were interrupted with boos, especially when investments were brought up. An order had to be called multiple times. Anger was also directed at Governor J.B. Pritzker. All parties present, however, agreed that the federal government needs to do more to help. Since last August, more than 15,000 thousand asylum seekers have arrived in Chicago. As of last week, more than 9,000 were staying in the city's shelter system, which is rapidly expanding under Mayor Johnson. Another 1,600 were sleeping in police stations, which have served as makeshift housing for those awaiting placement in shelters. Deputy Mayor for Immigrant, Migrant, and Refugee Rights Beatriz Ponce de Leon stated that retiring police stations as housing for migrants is the city's number one priority, and setting up base camps is one solution, according to her. She went on to say the city is asking the state to identify shelter locations elsewhere in Illinois with quote-unquote culturally congruent communities that can provide wraparound support. She laid out some concrete requests that the city will make of the federal government, including more flexible funding streams, as well as a mass federal waiver for applications for work authorization requests made possible under new temporary protected status. The migrant situation in Chicago is ongoing and is complicated by conflicting interests and priorities at the state, federal, and local level. And this story was first reported by Wendy Way and Jim Daly for Southside Weekly. Um, I, being new to Chicago, am also new to the political um, lay of the land, so I don't know if Will or Greg, having been here for longer, is more familiar with with the the sentiment towards immigrants. Chicago politics are something that are deeply interesting, but also just deeply fragmented and hard to discuss in such a short amount of time. Uh, but I think the migrant crisis is one that, you know, I think many of us can talk to. Uh, this past summer, um, you know, moving out of Chicago, um, I worked in New York City in Midtown, um, right across from, you know, what was arguably uh, the hub of the migrant crisis in the U.S. outside of, um, you know, ports of entry. Uh, the Roosevelt Hotel um, was right in New York City where a lot of migrants are being processed and being housed. Um, and... What struck me about it was the wraparound line. And to put it in perspective, Roosevelt Hotel is right around the corner from Park Ave, which is where all these amazing financial firms are headquartered. You have, you know, J.P. Morgan, you know, all these incredible firms. Um, 
And, you know, so, you know, just, there was something deeply disturbing with the fact that there are migrants who are sleeping outside, um, just, you know, wrapped around this hotel, and right across from the hotel, you know, you have these migrants who are, you know, d barely had any food. Uh, it, it just, it felt deeply, deeply, deeply disturbed. Um, no. But at the same time, I understand, you know, I understand the frustration that people are having, you know, here in the South Side. This is, you know, part of the city that has been neglected for a long time, you know. Every time I take my bite, you have roads that are not paved properly. Or, you know, you stop at, like, a restaurant or a coffee shop and you can, nine times out of ten, hear a conversation about, like, a school that's failing. Right now, the, you know, the migrant crisis, I think, is highlighting the fact that the South Side is not equipped to not just handle migrants. It's not equipped at all. It's just not, it doesn't have the resources that it needs. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a hard topic to discuss, but I think there are failures happening all over the place. Yeah, no, you point out a lack of coordination among the levels, which I think is one of the biggest issues because, you know, at the federal level, Biden is preoccupied with an upcoming election. There was also the Ukrainian immigrants, um, and refugees, um, crisis that was, you know, in more optics and so that was at the forefront of the news um and so i think it's been pretty hard to foreground what's a crisis but not at the front of a lot of people's minds because of other things going on in american politics yeah yeah, yeah and i think in a big city like chicago where there's already quite a sizable unhoused and homeless population it's even harder when you know migrants are coming in and like adding on to like Will's point, like, I can kind of understand why long-time, like, Southside residents are a little bit cautious because it's a question of, is the government going to give these resources to these migrants who are newcomers and neglect, you know, people who have been unhoused for, like, years and years and who have, like, grown up here in the Southside. So mm -hmm. I think there's not really, like, a good structure at all to kind of solve these issues. So, and I think it's even more urgent that, you know, these migrants find sh are, are provided shelter um, before it gets even colder because, you know, many, like, unhoused people die every single winter here in Chicago because they it's just don't It's already becoming a shelter. problem. Yeah. A lot of the tents that people are staying in, they're not insulated. At all. And, you know, night times are becoming cold. I, I just had to pull out another blanket for I my own bed. I think the <laughs> points that you guys raised really puts the resentment that I've, well, read about and heard about into perspective. Um, you know, that it's not necessarily coming out of a place of bigotry, but maybe frustration, not with mm -hmm. the migrants per se, but with feeling that they've been, or, you know, Southside residents have been neglected and unheard. Um, okay, so onto a lighter topic for our last story will come to me. Um, and so the Arts Lawn, a public green space for arts programming and events in Washington Park, opened on Saturday. A project years in the making, the Arts Lawn is part of the Arts plus Public Life Arts Block along the 300 block of the East Garfield Boulevard. Plans for the Arts Lawn have been in the works since 2014, born out of community conversations between APL and Washington Park residents. The one-acre green space has two primary functions. Half of it features a performance pavilion and areas for vendors and educational programming. The other half is a great lawn to be used for quiet activities such as meditation and yoga. Though there are no fences, the lawn does have hours of operation. 
9 a.m. to 9 p.m. from April 1st to October 31st, and 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. from November 1st to March 31st. For the full story, see Zoe Farrow's article on the Hyde Park Herald. I actually visited the um, Arts Lawn as part of Chicago's uh, pre-orientation program, Chicago Bound, and it was indeed like quite a beautiful space, but I think there's also the question of, I wonder like how much input like actual Washington Park residents had in um, the construction of this lawn, but I don't know too much about the issue, so I'm not gonna go further. I mean, I'm, I'm very happy to see the Arts Lawn here. Um, I think it's time to, in a way, reactivate that area. I think the area surrounding Garfield Green Line, um, the Garfield Green Line station, is wonderful, but there is a gigantic vacant lot, a parking lot of which I've never seen used for the CTA Green Line station. Um, and then, you know, a coffee shop, which I've never actually been to that I... It's good. I, I'm planning we on We walked into a celebrity there. Really? Oh, my God. Who's the singer who sang... Um, just like a star. Just like a star. Uh, Corin Bailey Ray, I think is her Oh, really? She was there in the coffee shop I when we visited her. the arts lawn. <sighs> it was such a magical yeah. moment. Um, so I, I really do hope that the arts lawn also attracts more U Chicago students there. Um, I hope that events are going to be held there, live music there. I hope we can get more. Ultimately, my big thing is getting more people onto the bus. I hope that more people ride the 55 bus yeah. uh, to the Chicago yeah. Arts Lawn. We, um, we've spoken about uh, yes. public transport at length. Yes. Um, <laughs> I hope more people get on the 55 bus. Uh, I hope more people walk through Washington Park because yeah. it truly is beautiful. Um, the one thing is, do you find the hours of operation strange or is that like normal? Just nine, like restricting hours on a... Park is that is that normal? It's normal. Most of those hours are not enforced, but a lot of parks have like sunrise to sunset right, laws. Right, right, right. Yeah. Some of that is to avoid some legal issues. Um, you know, some of it is for you know, air quotes, public safety. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's yeah, they're, yeah, they're normally just there, um, but normally not that enforced. I'm not saying to not obey the rules and laws and regulations, obey the rules, laws, and regulations. Uh, it's just that it's not always enforced. I'll be sure to check it out. First, I have to visit the point, though. <laughs> yes. Oh, goodness, the point. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love it. I, I wonder if Dean Boyer is going to do Kuvia this year. Ooh. Wait, is it Dean Boyer? I don't think I can call him anything else. It's... Wait, yeah, didn't he step down? Uh, step down or step up. He's now, like, strategic oh. advisor to Paul Alvasados. Uh, but I'm not going to call him advisor boy. Wait, That's what does not being a strategic advisor entail? I don't know. No ask clue. Dean Boyer and ask, <laughs> and ask former provost Kai Sealy. Maybe they can give you a better answer. You should interview them. Should on, on, on what they do. Um, but, um, yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's all the news we have for today. As always, I'm Greg. I'm William. I'm Celeste. I'm Erica. I'm Sophia. And thanks for tuning in. We'll have see you next week. week.